Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome back to Amplify, second part of our program, second hour. Our guest is Dr. Ryan Marr. The last name is spelled M-A-R-R. He's written a book titled Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. Um, we Some of the points that we highlighted during the first hour of the program is that the purpose of the book is to zero in on Newman's life of heroic virtue in order to glean insights that might aid our journey to God uh, that we must ask ourselves if we are ready to turn our lives over completely to God. We have many excuses not to do just that. I think every one of us may have such excuses. And he believes that one of the greatest dangers of our time is possessing temporal advantages. The process of coming to know and love God involves a great deal of joy, but it is not easy and Four points that stand out in the self-emptying life. Uh, Dr. Marr uh, talked about uh, at the heart of discipleship is faithfulness in the ordinary duties of life, that too often we approach spiritual growth in the same way we approach dieting and exercising when really what we must do is be completely reliant on God, Doctor Marr, was there some point that you wanted to finish that I that I cut you off in the first hour? You know, I think at the end there, I was just um, reminding all of us, reminding myself of the great gifts that God offers us, uh, preeminently, you know, and coming to us um, under the appearances of bread and wine, and yes. uh, just kind of highlighting how those aren't uh, boxes on a checklist, but really. The means of our life. So, you know, obviously we want to unite those with with prayer and with, with almsgiving, you know, other forms of devotion. But really the opportunity each week to meet God in the liturgy is um, an unparalleled privilege. Tell us a little bit about um, uh, St. John Henry Newman's um, theology of the Holy Spirit that might be uh, summarized in that we love because God loved us first. Yeah, you know, with the way that history works out sometimes, I feel like among Christians we we can have disputes or debates about certain topics, and sometimes that sort of burdens the discussion for decades 
or even centuries to come. So the, at the time of the Protestant Reformation um, in the 1500s, there were real debates about how God saves us. And in some cases, it boiled down to what I would call uh, like forensic discussions. So salvation was sort of like the experience of, of a courtroom where you're acquitted of a crime. And of course, we do in points, at points in the New Testament hear legal language to, you know, as a description of salvation. But there have been other ways of thinking about those ideas. And one major way, especially in the early writings of the church, was the idea of theosis, that really ultimately God wants us to take on the divine nature. And so salvation was construed or it was viewed more in sort of a medicinal term, so that sin is a kind of sickness or disease, and what God desires is to heal us or make us whole. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. Um, you know, when we are baptized, we are brought into the family of God. And one of the gifts of being brought into that family is being filled with God's Spirit. And St. Paul says the fact that the Spirit indwells us, um, that's what enables us to pray, Abba, Father, to call God Daddy. And so that indwelling of the Holy Spirit is really the foundation of our entire life in Christ. There's this, you know, it's a mystery, but there's this synergy between what we're called to do and God being at work in us. And so in whatever ways that we can, we should try to become more sensitive to the promptings and the movements of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, God does send his spirit to us as a guide and as an advocate. Um, the New Testament uses the language of paraclete, someone who um, yeah, pulls on, fights on our behalf, right? And, you know, a prayer in the life of the sacraments can be the ways that we start to go about our lives attuned to God's work around us, but also within us. And um, we live in an age where uh, people are looking for hope any anywhere at all. They don't always look at it, don't look to God for it. And yet, um, St. John Henry Newman teaches us that our hope, ultimately, you write, rests on who God is and what God has promised us, that no matter how far we progress in the spiritual life, we never move beyond our need for God's grace, do we? No. If it, you know, thank goodness it's not open. I mean, it's not up to the gifts or the strengths that I bring to the table, but it's a work that God's, he, that God's doing in us. And it's like another phrase that I threw in the book, Father, and this one actually doesn't um, come from Newman. It comes from another great spiritual work but it's abandonment to divine providence. And basically what that means is trusting that God has a plan for your life and trying to see that plan more clearly and to accept that the vicissitudes of life were not surprises to God and therefore that there's a purpose to them. We talked earlier in the show about Newman's trust that God was still guiding the church, but this abandonment to divine providence had a very personal character to him as well. And so Newman prays at one point his, his, his affirmation that God has created me to do him some definite service. God has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to anyone else. 
you know, I have, a, I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. And this is a really beautiful phrase. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection mm-hmm. between persons. God has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. And, and the prayer goes on longer. But what Newman comes to confess in that prayer is that God may send him sickness. He may take away some of his friends, but none of those things happen in vain. And for myself, this is this is the kind of prayer that I like to write and even place um, on my mirror or someplace where I'm going to see it at the at the start of the day to be reminded that I'm a connection in a chain and that God has a specific mission. And to the extent that I open myself up to God, you know, I can become I can begin to see that more clearly and to recognize how I fit into his plan. And as you write on uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, you write that we need to be more intentional about keeping Jesus at the center of our conversations about the most important matters in life because he shows us definitively what it means to be human and that we exhibit God's glory most brilliantly when our life resembles as closely as possible the life of Jesus And to do that, we must keep before our eyes both Jesus' work and his person because we serve a God who does not remain distant from who he has created, but he draws near to us. He makes himself weak um, to to make that happen, to help that happen. And as we go back to the theme of prayer once again with which we we began, um, that prayer is so vital to growth in the spiritual life, Uh, You write, abandonment to divine providence is one of the central themes in Newman's spirituality. Our lives are not our own. They belong to God, the all-knowing creator. Our heavenly father knows what is best for us and in his infinite mercy has prepared the graces necessary for us to be made holy and reach heaven. True happiness and true peace then can be found only by humbly submitting our wills to God's plan. Insofar as we resist this plan, we will find ourselves more deeply mired in dissatisfaction and resentment. And dare I read just a little bit more? When when life is proceeding smoothly with fulfilling relationships and our material needs provided for, it can seem simple enough to submit to God's will, but inevitably... The storms of life arise, and then our faith will be tested. And so he recommends that we draw from traditional devotions and forms of prayer. Why is that? Yeah, the the traditional forms of prayer is this just a great resource that the church has passed down to us. And to recognize sometimes that we are, you know, some of us, you know, some 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 listening, um, myself in many ways, we're beginners in the faith. And so when we come to God, we may not always have the right words to use, and that can create a kind of pressure for us. Like, we start to think about building this relationship with God or growing in our knowledge of Him. You know, we may sit down to pray and not know where to begin. And, uh, you know, this is a wonderful thing about the Catholic faith. There are all these tried-and-true prayers, the Rosary, of course, the Chapel of Divine Mercy, but also many great devotional manuals, and those have been preserved 
because um, because they've proven to really be you know the, the the very kind of thing that can strengthen us in the spiritual life. And so leaning on those is not, in some sense, becoming like less spontaneous or less authentic, but it's it, it's kind of relaxing in God's presence and trusting that the same words that formed the souls of the great saints that came before us, that they're going to work for us too. Um, and, and so like, I, again, when we, what we were saying earlier about regularity, um, leaning on those prayers can be the kind of thing by which we're habituated to the faith so that during other times, like the words come more naturally to us. And uh, he believes that uh, our prayer life is a privileged activity believes that uh, through prayer we pierce the veil of this world and see the next, that prayer has the power of giving us momentary glimpses into what is really real, or perhaps better, what is most real. And he wants us to meditate on the four last things, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. And he challenges us to keep our eyes on the reality that Christ will come again. Why is that? What benefit is that? Well, if any of the listeners have seen the movie The Matrix, you know, it's this creative science fiction film yes. where human beings are kind of living in this fabricated reality, this kind of like alternative universe. And this movie is in many ways a retelling of Plato's great allegory of the cave, where Plato depicts human beings as sort of like prisoners in a cave. And within that cave, they may see images cast upon a wall and think that's all there is to life, like what's immediately in front of them. Of course, in the allegory of the cave, there's one prisoner who escapes and steps out into the light of day. And at first, this is a very difficult thing, because if you've ever, say, watched a movie at 4 p.m., you know, late in the afternoon, and you go from a dark movie theater out into the light of day, it's painful in its own way. It takes time for your eyes to adjust. But that prisoner who stepped out of the cave into the great expanse of the world sees more than he ever thought possible. And so that can be sort of like an analogy of the spiritual life. We live in a universe that's not just vast, empty space, but it's populated by angels and saints. And we know this as truth to the faith, but so often as we go about life, we lose sight of those things. And so... Mm -hmm. We see what's immediately in front of us, whether that's our career or our relationships or even you know, less good things. Like we live in a very busy, noisy world, and our, our minds can just become bogged down and filled with only the noise, the images around us. And so Newman, in his great wisdom, was reminding us to take time out of the day to remember that we are created to know and love God that all of us at some point in the future will stand in God's presence before the throne of God. And at that point, what do we want our lives to be about? You know, at that point, our bank account, our 401k, that great line that we dropped on Facebook or Twitter, those things are going to fade away. And so meditating on the four last things, death, judgment, hell, heaven, it kind of it, it resets our mindset. And hopefully it reminds us, you know, what, what's truly lasting and essential. Um, there's a chapter titled, um, A Good Death, 
in uh, your book that has the title Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. And uh, Newman, you say, uh, lived his life in pursuit of holiness under the popular maxim, remember that you must die, suggesting that we need to have a sense of our own mortality. The soul is immortal, and we, while we believe we can satisfy our think we can satisfy our every desire, but rather suggests that we we have to begin to see the world as God sees it, and recognizing the spiritual dimension of each person will fundamentally transform how we view the moral life, that each soul is of inestimable uh, value, and the world is not our permanent home. Say a little bit more. Yeah, I think... One way I've been challenged just by reading about the history of Christianity is some of the cultural artifacts from the Middle Ages, and that's where I took that Latin phrase, memento mori, remember that you must die. And each era has maybe its strengths and its weaknesses, and I don't know, maybe the medievals went too far in one direction. But there were ways um, in churches or even going about life that they would try to call to mind the fact that they were mortal. So you can still go to churches today where um, in some places there are ossuaries where there, you know, like you can even see skulls of those who have passed on. And in one of these churches, there's a phrase uh, as you enter the church that says, what you are, I once was, and what I am, one day you shall be. And uh, Father, if we've grown too comfortable uh, and where we're at today, or if we're going about life in a hurried manner, you know, to be confronted with that truth, that reality about our own mortality, it can really wake us up. It can shake us out of our spiritual apathy. I don't think, you know, that sort of practice was meant to, you know, earlier we said gloom is no Christian temper. It's not about being macabre or a downer, but it's a reminder that we are finite. You know, we're not God's in control of our own existence. And so, again, it's, it, sort of, it sort of puts everything into perspective so that, say you take something like your job, that's a great gift from God, and it's a means by which we can support ourselves and our families. But our goal in life is just not to accumulate as much as possible. You know, you might have seen the bumper sticker before, uh, he who has the most toys wins. That's just false. Yes. And so it, 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 reorients, it reorients us, and we begin to ask, what are those things that will last? And when Jesus says, store up your riches in heaven, I don't think he was just saying that as a neat spiritual phrase. He was really reminding his listeners that to give to the things of God, you'll get a return on your own investment that you could ever get from material wealth, which one day will rot, which one day will fade away. And, and Newman took those truths from the gospel, and he re-harnessed them for his own listeners. And uh, he uh, learned to trust in God through the trials he experienced in his life. How did he do that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Newman came into the Catholic Church in the middle part of life, So he was in his 40s. And when I first learned that, I thought, well, Newman must have had a tough time when he was in the Church of England. And as he journeyed towards Catholicism, you know, to 
to suffer the loss of friendships and career prospects, as I talked about earlier. But after he came into the Catholic Church, it wasn't a bed of roses either. There were various things that came up. He was called to be the rector of the University of Ireland. Uh, He was asked by a bishop to translate um, the Latin Vulgate into English. And both of those projects ended up not panning out as they were intended. And in fact, the translation project had to be set aside. So Newman, through those trials, uh, he had to develop an even stronger trust in God. And that, again, for him, you know, like maybe um, one of those things might have been a vain accomplishment. So he, he, he tried to read it or look at it through the question of why might God have permitted this to happen? What sort of benefit could it have for me? spiritually and personally. Mm. And so um, he believed that um, this world cannot be devalued because it is through it that we come come to know God. And he trusted that God had a specific mission for him to accomplish, which um, is certainly something we can come to understand, that God would sustain him until that mission was complete, knowing then that having been given this mission, of course, God would support us and uh, not hold back his grace. Uh, And thus, Newman didn't feel any anxiety about the circumstances of his life, um, whether he would face sickness or, or lose friends or even that his life might be unusually short. There are a lot of people that uh, feel that way today and wonder about their life that way. Mm-hmm. But rather, his his highest concern above any other consideration that, that we can make was to serve God by keeping God's commandments. So we're going to take this final break, and then we will be back. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, final segment with Dr. Ryan Marr, uh, speaking about his book, uh, Seeking God with St. John Henry uh, Newman. We've given a bit of a workout this evening, um, and uh, yet there's there's so much in the book, so much richness, so much truth, um, so much spiritual direction that uh, we can't talk about all of it, although We have come to the the final part of the book. The final chapter that's referred to is an epilogue that's titled uh, Love, the Seed of Holiness. And uh, um, Dr. Marr writes, uh, we should take time regularly to pause and recall what lies at the heart of our faith. And then he has this quote from 1 John, Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And this love of God was made manifest to us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him, close quote. And then Dr. Marr continues, God is love. God wants us to know his love. Being a member of the body of Christ is fundamentally 
about experiencing the fullness of God's love and then sharing that love with others. You have seven children, and there must be a lot of love that is is shared in your family. Oh, yeah, I hope so. On most days, Father, and uh, it is a, a rich blessing. Each one of them has their own unique personality, and I think through their interactions with each other especially, they've they've come to know love and joy. So that really does um, mean a great deal to me. But I with that, with that last chapter, with that epilogue, it was kind of a challenge to myself because I've, I've studied theology. You've mentioned, you know, the doctorate and philosophy. And sometimes with the faith, we can maybe unnecessarily complicate things. I know Catholicism has this rich intellectual heritage, great, great minds, great thinkers. And there are so many mysteries, you know, to pick up even a catechism, it can be sort of intimidating. And there's things about uh, Mariology and, and purgatory and the sacraments, predestination on down the line. Uh, and yet with that quote from First John, we're reminded of the fact that at the heart of our religion is really the confession that God loves us and desires for us to experience that love and share it with others. And so if we ever find ourselves along the way and we're maybe tied up with the intellectual questions and we've lost sight of that love, it's not that the former is unimportant, but we have to ask ourselves is, you know, all of our endeavors, whatever that happens to be, are those um, rooted in God's love? And are they helping or hindering others to experience the fullness of that love? And so that's um, why you've given the title, uh, Love is the Seed of Holiness. It's been something you've experienced in your life much like uh, St. John Henry Newman has. Yeah, love is the seed of holiness. That's a great sermon from Newman. And, you know, when we hear the word holiness, different connotations might come to mind. We've all had different experiences of the Church and grown up in unique families with their own stories and challenges and personalities. And so when we hear the word holiness, you know, that might sound in one set of ears differently than it sounds in another's. And I know for myself, there have been times maybe where I wanted to think about holiness or I came to think about holiness as following a set of rules or adhering to, you know, a certain list of things to do. And those things to do, Father, those rules, they obviously have their their place. You know, I'd be the last person to chuck out the Ten Commandments or even, you know, the, the wisdom that the Church has provided for us by calling us to a certain way of life. But there is something foundational about love and the fact that God has communicated that to us. And I love Newman's imagery that it's really like this seed that's planted in the soil of our hearts and can grow up and grow out into um, something, something really great and beautiful that has the opportunity to bless many other lives as well. And um, for... Newman, The Life of Grace, uh, you write, looks like friendship with God, communion with, with the saints, and complete submission to the divine will. And you write, one paradoxical characteristic of human existence is that time passes by very quickly. As is commonly said, time flies 
Yet the journey of faith often feels more like a marathon than a sprint. That is precisely why we tend to describe faith as a journey. The destination is not reached in a day, but for most of us, it involves decades of arduous struggle. Newman concurs. True conversion of heart, he says, is, quote, is not done in a moment. It is slow work, close quote. Though sudden conversions do happen, they are not the norm, and even these have to be nourished over the long haul if they are to bear lasting fruit. So we shouldn't just read your book and think we're going to that it's that we're going to be uh, spiritually nourished as much as we need to be. Yeah, that idea is a real consolation to me because inevitably in life there are going to be times where we fall down or where we wake up and we just don't feel like we have the energy to carry on. Um, so it's good to be reminded, you know, this really is is not a sprint. Uh, each day has its own graces, has its own opportunities. And I think really one of the most important things is, is to persevere. And when we fall to pick ourselves up again, that's, that's really where the sacrament of confession would enter into the picture. Um, so if we reach the end of one day and we go about our daily exam and recognize that in many ways we've, we've let others or let God down, that's not the final word um, on our story. Conversion, as Newman points out, I think as the Bible makes clear, is not a one-time thing where, you know, you're sort of stamped with the barcode, and then when you get to heaven, St. Peter is going to use right. the scanner, and you're either in or you're out. <laughs> yes. it's, a, it's a daily process. It's much more—that's why we use the language of relationship, and, and any of us who have been in a close friendship or in a marriage know that it— ebbs and flows. And, and the, the key is the commitment, um, not letting a single day or a single moment define it. And you write that as we listen to uh, God's voice um, mediated to us, both by conscience and also by uh, sacred scripture, we draw closer to God and uh, we're able to see the world for what it is, as God's good creation— but also passing away and therefore not able to satisfy our deepest longings. So um, we need to understand there is a blessing here, but there's even greater blessings to follow. That's right. And I think that paragraph might have made its way into the book because there are times as I'm discussing Newman's spiritual wisdom and I really highlight the fact that he's, he can describe the world as like shadows, you know. And when you hear that word, you can, you can think about kind of unreality. And so maybe get the impression that there's something negative here or to be done away with. But the world as created by God is good. And the different parts of life are there as gifts meant to point us to God. You know, as Catholics, we this is this is a huge part of our faith. You know, we believe that God conveys His grace to us through bread and wine, through water and holy oils. You know, we use the material things of the world in the spiritual life, and so it would be a mistake to see the world as something 
bad and negative as something we're meant to escape. But there's a flip side to that where it'd be equally mistaken, Father, I think, to see the world as our final end, as having a permanence that we just know it doesn't have. And that's where Newman wants to nudge us along the way and really challenge us to fix our eyes on Jesus. And by doing so, we're reminded that there's this destiny, you know, set for us in the future that won't be, it won't be the doing away with our lives, but it'll be the culmination of our earthly existence. And so we have to, uh, we have to orient our lives in such a way that we're aimed towards that goal. And as we live our life, um, we have to um, realize that God has created us for eternity and that there, as you write, are so many distractions that vie for our attention. They, they seem something that we want, want more than something that may come later. And Newman, you, you write, warns that it is simply irrational to give our hearts to things that have no permanence in them. Uh, and because our hearts have been designed for eternity, the source of true happiness must be lasting and infinitely good and beautiful. And that's all available to us, isn't it? Yeah, that, that section of the epilogue was really inspired by the phrase from Ecclesiastes that God has set eternity in our hearts. And that reminds us that, as you say, we were created to live with God, who, of course, is eternal. And so, I mean, I, there's this phrase that's sometimes thrown about, and I think, you know, it could maybe be misunderstood, but um, each one of us has a God-shaped hole. God has set eternity in our hearts, and true and lasting happiness can only be found in that communion with God. But as human beings, you know, we're so prone to trying to throw other things in that hole, whether it's riches or, or drink or ambition, whatever it happens to be. And we hope those things, those, those possessions or whatever, will fill that hole. But the more we, we try that, it's almost like the thirstier we become. And, 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 and again, that's where Newman wants to challenge us. Seek God above all. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added to you. And as a way of, um, I think, putting an especially strong seal on that challenge, Newman says, time is short, eternity is long. Meaning, you know, sometimes in life, like the things around us consume us because we think, if I lose this, I'm going to lose out on my chance at happiness. But, but time is fleeting, and eternity, I mean, what that means, like eternity is not simply like a really long amount of time. It's our entire existence after we pass on. And so structure your life in such a way that <laughs> yeah, basically, I mean, to put it somewhat simplistically, you're, you're banking on a good eternal existence. How do we help people to understand the truths that we've been uh, discussing this evening? Well, this, this is a real challenge, but I think as much as possible, and this is something where we continue to have to ask God for the grace to do this well, there has to be a coherence, I think, between our words, between what we say in our mouths, and our lives. And that doesn't mean we'll necessarily 
be perfect or, you know, free from sin tomorrow. But um, to confess humility and simplicity of life and the various sort of things that I think our Lord really captures in a, in a profound way in the Sermon on the Mount, um, if others are going to be drawn to that, they they have to see witnesses to those truths. And, you know, for Catholics, that's really ultimately why we uphold the saints, not because they were especially great people, meaning they had more talents or better looks or whatever, but because God has done a great and powerful work in and through them. And so asking for the grace of that in our own lives so that when others look at us, they see the love of God refracted through the details of our daily existence. And um, I just need to say the epilogue uh, uh, titled Love, the Seed of Holiness is, uh, to me, um, uh, the best part of the book in many ways, because it brings everything together in, in a way that we can understand. If we, if we understand the power of love, if we've ever felt God's love, if we've ever felt someone else's love, or felt, in, felt moved to love someone else— then within that love given and received, exchanged, there's so much to learn. And you write that Jesus challenges his followers to conduct themselves in such a way that their very existence becomes a living proclamation of God's love. Would that the world we lived in right now and what we're, what we're going to be facing mm-hmm. even this week that uh, any gifts you write that we receive from God can accomplish the work that God intends only when they are shared with others. Yeah, when we think about the faith and how each one of us came to the faith and others come to the faith, a lot of times I think we move immediately to the argumentative side of things, and if someone's going to be persuaded, they have to be convinced mentally. But Newman reminds us the heart is commonly reached not through the reason, but through the imagination. Persons influence us, voices melt us, looks subdue us, deeds inflame us. Many a person will live and die upon a a dogma. No one will be a matter simply for a conclusion. And so again, Father, like you're saying, um, there's a time and place to discuss the truths of the faith or even to debate those things. But ultimately, Newman believed that people's lives were changed and transformed through personal influence. And so um, asking God, is there some opportunity this week, maybe not even where um, I witness to the faith through my words, but especially through my deeds, and in that small way, sort of move the world uh, one step closer to the kind of place that God created it to be, as we say in the Lord's Prayer, that um, God's will might be done on earth as it's accomplished in heaven. And then... um... Perhaps one final point that uh, you write that Newman was centrally concerned about one thing, helping others to grow in their faith so that they could know the full measure of God's love. Newman was centrally concerned about one thing, helping others to grow in their faith so that they could know the full measure of God's love. Wouldn't that change our world? Oh, it certainly would. And I know as uh, a one-time college professor, so often 
when we write books today might be to like pad our resume or to reach the New York Times bestseller list. But Newman, I think, did it precisely for what you pointed out, to help others to know God more deeply so that they could love him more completely. And I, I know we're coming up against our time, but if I could give a small plug for those who live in and around Pittsburgh, you really do have a gem in the National Institute for Newman Studies. And unfortunately, right now, you know, COVID makes it difficult to visit. But when we turn the corner uh, with the virus, I really encourage you to head down to Oakland. Uh, It's near the um, uh, it's near the University of Pittsburgh campus. And there's a beautiful library there where you can dive more deeply into some of these truths that we've been talking about this evening. And of course, we'll find many of those truths in your book, uh, Seeking God. Um, and uh, the final thought, what is needed to propagate the, the faith, you write, is for heroic persons to live in such a way that their words are wedded to sacrificial acts of love and mercy. And uh, hopefully each of us can... Um, think about that and begin our day tomorrow to live in such a way that their words are wedded to sacrificial acts of love and mercy, especially during this this troubled week, um, remembering, of course, what we celebrate uh, tomorrow uh, in the as we we remember such a person who who lived that way uh, himself. Our guest this evening has been. Dr. Ryan Marr, title of the book, Seeking God with St. John Henry Newman. Um, Doctor, thank you so very much for being with us. Uh, Certainly do appreciate it. Yeah, it was really a blessing. Thanks for having me on the show. And blessings on you uh, and your family, for sure. Thank you, Father. All right. Good night. So there's um, a lot of things um, that... Uh, we we missed and uh, um, let me let me read a couple of things as we as we draw closer to the end. And again, I'm reading from the book Seeking God uh, with Saint John Henry Newman. As God's love expands in our hearts, we will feel less and less at home in this world. Newman captures this characteristic of the Christian life under the umbrella term of watchfulness. The obedient Christian is a faith is a watchful person, someone who is detached from what is present and who lives in what is unseen. One of the surest indicators then of whether we are growing in faith is how at home we feel in this world. Do we look figure do we look excuse me forward in eager anticipation to Christ's second coming or do we live in anxiety of losing our possessions and our status we may add to that the concept of power This is the very definition of a Christian Newman writes one who looks for Christ not who looks again for gain or distinction or power or pleasure or comfort, but who looks for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This, according to Scripture, is the essential mark. 
This is the foundation of a Christian from which everything else follows. The Bible makes clear that this world is not our home. The watchful Christian does not simply give lip service to this idea, but lives in the reality of it, which is saying that if there is to be peace in the world, it's going to come from God and it's going to be coming through us, through the gifts that God has given to us, how we've been how we have been graced. One paradoxical characteristic of human existence is that time passes very quickly. As is commonly said, it flies. And Newman concurs. When we diagnose ourselves as having a divided heart, it can be tempting to seek out a quick and easy remedy but nothing like that exists. And so, ultimately, John Henry Newman became a saint because he subordinated the temporal affairs of life to eternal concerns, prioritized his time and energies on the basis of what he believed would resound in eternity. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now, that you love him or her. Pray for peace. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. Come back next Sunday and amplify with us.